So starting in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And as he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's where I want to stop for today, and I want to just break that down. I want to look at Jesus and Peter, and then I want to look at the words of Jesus here in just a moment. But I will be the first to admit that as I was a young man, who here knows that most young men are dumb men until we wise up and hopefully get married and she helps train us, right, Um, and, and teaches us a lot of our own ignorances. Well, I was that man at 20 and 21 and even up until 22 that always said things like this. Well, when I have kids, they will never fill in the blank. You know, and then I would say, well, my kids will never act out in public. My kids will never spill their drinks all over the table and all over me at the restaurant. My kids will never talk back. My kids will never disrespect their mother. My kids will never, never, never. Well, here's what I came to find out. One first, you should never say never because it has always been the case. Everything I said would never, would never happen has happened. Um, I always said my kids would never scream in public. Guess what? There has been times where I've had to walk out of restaurants. Michaela's had to go sit in the vehicle because our kids are acting fools in front of other people. There are times there, as soon as the cup is brought to the table, one of my children would spill the drink all over the table, all over me, all over the floor, cause a big scene. And, and I'm the kind of guy, when something like that happens, I get very uptight. But I used to say these things beforehand. And I used to say these things very loudly so everyone with kids could hear that whenever I'm a parent, I'm going to do things this way. Or when I have kids, they're going to do things this way. And here's what I come to find out. Until you actually do it, (laughs) you have no clue. Right? Until you actually have children and parent one or two or three or four of these things, you really have no clue what to expect. (laughs) You can have expectations all you want. But until you've actually lived in it, your opinions are pretty well irrelevant. So I was, I was that guy. I was that guy. And I heard this preacher one time say that he wishes he would have wrote a parenting book before he ever had children. Because he realized that all of the things he thought he knew were broken when it came to trying to raise a child or multiple children. So now I'm the guy that I will never voice my opinion on how you should parent your kids because I'm still trying to figure it out. But when people that don't have kids or are, are very new to it begin to tell me how they would do things or how they should parent or how I should parent, I actually laugh. I may not directly laugh at them, but on the inside I am laughing because how ignorant are you to do or to say what you think whenever you have no clue because you've either never done it or are very new to it. 
Well, the same is true with Peter here. He begins to rebuke Jesus because there's no way that Jesus is going to die. There's no way that you can go and you can do these things. And he's speaking on behalf of his own ignorance. And he doesn't know the, the eternal implications that Jesus is trying to prepare him for. Jesus is foretelling the fact, I must die. And guess what? On the third day, I will rise again. So Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. And let's just face it. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't we be in agreement with Peter that it's kind of nice having Jesus around? I mean, he's raising the sick. He's giving sight to the blind. He's, he's raising people from the dead. He's healing them of their illness. He's feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves and a few fish. I mean, anytime we get in the boat and a storm comes our way, it's kind of nice to have him on our side so he can just calm the storm and to just give us peace on the waters. It's very nice having Jesus around because he's actually doing a lot of really good things for us. This is why Jesus tells Peter, hey, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Well, if you hold a Bible in your hands and you were to just flip a few pages over, I mean, just a few pages, you would be into another gospel account altogether. So what we see is as we flip a few pages over, we see the rest of the story. Peter was speaking out of his own inexperience as to what was about to happen or his own illiteracy or his, you know, he just didn't know what was about to happen. So Peter is rebuking Jesus after he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. Well, the beautiful thing about this is this. If you were to look at Peter's life from that point forward, Peter's also the man that cuts off the ear in the garden. Peter's also the man that speaks very loudly and very abruptly to many people. But if you were to open your Bible to the book of 1 Peter, this is what you would read. 1 Peter chapter 1. After he gives a greeting to all of those who were in exile and dispersed and persecuted for their faith, this is what he goes on to write. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this is what Peter writes after the facts. So once Peter actually experiences Jesus being persecuted and crucified before him, and once he actually lives to see Jesus leave the tomb empty on, on the third day, once he actually sees Jesus face to face and Jesus prepares breakfast for him on the beachside, and as he recommissions Peter to go and to feed his sheep, Peter begins to look at things a little different. His perspective is changed permanently. So what Peter thought would happen or what Peter thought things should look like ended up not being the case. But here we are decades later and Peter writes this letter as he, and it's, as he introduces himself and reaches his audience. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from Isn't it amazing how a few years time and a little bit of spiritual maturity changes Peter from rebuking Christ for wanting to die and then be raised on the third day to now praising Christ for being buried and rise on the third day. And here's what we see, what Peter didn't understand and what he may have thought is the same thing a lot of people may think today. See, for me, I have hope in Christ because he rose on the third day. 
That's why you're here today, right? I mean, you're not here just because it's a beautiful Sunday morning and you can't decided to put your clothes on and come to church and, and just have a good time. You're here to hopefully, prayerfully, you're here to truly praise the Lord and to bless His holy name and to sing songs of praise and to open His word and to truly allow Him to speak to you because of His resurrection from the dead. If He had stayed in the grave, we would no longer be doing this. If he had stayed buried, we would not be doing this. There would be no living hope. But Jesus being raised from the dead gives to us a living hope and then provides us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So here we read Peter. His perspective changes as he begins to praise the Lord because of this resurrection that years ago thought was crazy, the fact that it would happen. So what does the resurrection give to you? What does it give to me? And what Peter may have thought in this particular moment in his life when he begins to rebuke Jesus is what a lot of people think today, that this world that you live in is it, that this is it. There are a lot of people that do not have hope in Christ that put all of their energy and their effort into this into living the best life that they can, into making the most money that they can, into building the biggest homes that they can, into doing all that they can and accomplish all that they can during their time on this life, because on this earth, because this is truly it. Let me just ask you, do you know people that live with that heart? They put everything they can into this life here and now. But what did James say about this life? It's simply a mist. It's simply a vapor. It's here today and then we are gone tomorrow. So as you think about the resurrection, let me just ask you personally, what does the resurrection mean to you? What does the resurrection give to you? Does it provide you hope? Does it give you purpose to live? Does it give you peace of mind? Here's the reality of the resurrection for people like you and me. If you are a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, the resurrection gives you a living hope. Let me just ask you this. If anyone here is above the age of 30, let me ask you, do you get around as well as you used to? No? Now, if you're above the age of 50... Do you get around as well as you used to? Now, I'm not calling you old, but I want the old folks to answer this question. If you are above the age of 75 or 80, do you get around as well as you used to? No. So what's beautiful to me is just yesterday we celebrated my grandmother's 75th birthday. We had a surprise lunch at 12 West, my family and some of uh, her church family. And we were all there together and all of these people are coming in. And my grandma is 75, walks with a walker. Well, I remember my grandma walked and ran. But over time, her body began to break down and she's not as strong as she used to. I remember my grandpa throwing a baseball to me and my brother when we would go to grandma and grandpa's house and we would play football and he would throw. Well, he can't lift his shoulders because he's had two shoulder replacement surgeries and both of his pockets are completely worn out. And I look at those people who I remember when they, when I was young and they were, they were lively and they were able to run and they were able to play ball. But as they get older, they grow and grow and grow weaker and weaker. And guess what? The same is true with me and with you. 
So if all of our effort, all of our hope is in the here and now, guess what? We're setting ourselves up for failure because you may make more money as you get older, but you have less likely uh, ability to spend it or to spend it on interests or hobbies that you enjoy. So here we are and we live in a world where a lot of people believe that this is it. This is the here and now. We put all of our energy, all of our effort into this. We want to make as much money. We want to build. We want to build. We want to save. We want to invest, which is fine and dandy to do. But if you put all of your energy and effort into this, you are putting your energy and effort and hope into a very temporary thing that can be robbed from you just like that. How do I know that? Well, just this evening, I, we get to go to the funeral home. Why? Because just like that, the life of someone my, in Michaela's family ended. Just like that. You know, we think that we have it all figured out. We think that, you know, one of these days we're going to grow old, be rich, retire. But guess what? Tomorrow is never promised. So the resurrection actually provides to you and me a living hope. Because here's the reality. Whether I wake up tomorrow or not, guess what? I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. Whether I get sick tomorrow or not, I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. And because of that, I can wake up each and every day in the face of persecution or not with the same joy and the same hope that I had before. I can wake up tomorrow even if life spirals out of control and all of my life goes this way or in every direction beside the point or the direction which I was aiming towards, I can still have hope that one of these days you and I will be able to receive this inheritance. So Peter begins to understand that the resurrection of Christ was much more than just an event that the world would see on the third day, but it was an event that would actually promise to you and me a life that is never ending. So what is... The resurrection to you. Is it just a day that we come to celebrate once a year and then have a big breakfast afterwards and have a great time? No, no, no. The resurrection should be your daily hope. Why? Because it is a living hope. The beautiful thing about the resurrection is as you and I live forever and ever in Christ's glory, we will be able to, to live in His majesty. We will be able to live. And the reality is if this is it then it actually gets worse the longer we're here. Our bodies begin to break. Our joints begin to ache. Our mind begins to slip. Our vision begins to blur. Our, our abilities begin to shrink. So if this is all we have to look forward to, then we are completely devastated. But here's the beautiful thing. Whether you wake up in a funeral home, or you don't wake up in a funeral home, <laughs> I meant to say whether you end up visiting a funeral home (laughs) or you wake up in a hospital room. I'm telling you, an hour of sleep that I lost, it's it's coming back. (laughs) Whether you end up visiting a funeral home, whether you end up waking up in a hospital room, whether your bank account is completely empty... None of it matters because of the living hope that Christ gives to me and to you. So when we begin to think about Jesus predicting his death and his disciples rebuking this prediction or this foretelling, 
And then we read the words of Peter. He begins to see the fact that Jesus came to provide something that he couldn't quite understand and couldn't quite grasp here on earth. But one of these days he will be able to take possession of. So then Jesus goes on to say what? After this little interaction with Peter, he begins to say that if you want to save your life, that's fine. You want to chase the desires of the flesh? You want to put all of your energy and effort in here now? That's fine, but you will lose your soul. But if you want to put your life on the cross, essentially what he is saying, if you want to put to death the desires of your flesh, the ways of this world to sacrifice yourself for me, you will actually receive life. Well, in this life, what is it going to look like? It's going to be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it is an inheritance that will last forever and ever and ever. The reality is many people will come to this particular moment of their life, not this particular moment, but the time in which you decide whether you are going to follow this life and chase things in this life to glorify you or to truly sacrifice of yourself and glorify the Lord. This is why Jesus said there will be many people lead by the wide gate that leads to destruction. But let me just, let's just think about for a moment people that you know that knew the Lord Jesus Christ that are no longer here. Just for a moment. If you could just picture those people. Just, just picture those people that knew the Lord Jesus Christ but are no longer here. Those people are no longer in broken bodies. Those people are no longer defined by the terminal cancer that they were diagnosed with. Those people are no longer suffering with the mental inability that they may have had. Those people are no longer in pain and suffering. Why? Because Jesus said, in that place, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. So those people are actually more alive than you and I could ever imagine. And the reality is, one of these days, you and I will be those people as well. The inevitable is that you and I will breathe our very last breath. And if we put all of our focus, our effort, and our direction to the here and the now, we will lose our soul. But Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And forfeit his soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So the reality is this. If we choose to reject the gospel and to reject the salvation that Jesus Christ gives, then you and I will be rejected by him when we see him in his glory. That he will just completely reject us and condemn us to depart from him. But the beautiful promise is one of these days you and I will be recipients of, through the blood of the Lamb, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept where? In heaven for you. So this is what I want to really drive home from this first foretelling Jesus rebukes Peter for setting his mind on not God's interests. But man's. Peter then begins to praise him decades later as he writes this letter about this resurrection of the dead giving us a living hope. 
And then Jesus went on to say, if you want to save your life, if you want to live your life however you want here and now, if you want to chase the desires of your flesh and the lusts of the flesh and the ways of this world, you can do so, but you will truly sacrifice your soul. So what I wanted to simply ask today is this. Are you truly taking up your cross and following him? Or are you trying to satisfy the depths of your soul with a very temporary thing? Temporary thing could be money, could be people, it could be desires of the flesh, it could be so many different things, could be sinful habits and lifestyles. Are we truly walking in this living hope that Jesus came to offer? Or are we trying to live our lives by sacrificing our soul and just trying to pleasure or fulfill our pleasure with a very temporary thing. And this is what Jesus said to Peter again, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. One of these days as you and I breathe our last breath and as we stand before him, he's going to tell us one of two things. Job well done. Welcome home. However that's going to look or depart from me for I did not know you. So the question I just pose for us today as we read of this prediction of, of Christ about his death and his resurrection, as you consider the resurrection, what does it truly mean to you? Does it provide you a living hope so that you can wake up tomorrow even if the diagnosis comes back bad and still know that one of these days I have an inheritance that's undefiled It's imperishable and never going to leave, never going to fade. If you wake up tomorrow and your kids walk out in rebellion, are you going to continue to praise his name? Or if you wake up tomorrow and your finances are completely gone, if you wake up tomorrow and you lose your job, if you wake, I mean, all of the circumstances of this earth that truly dictate the way that we live and the joy that we have, if they were all stripped away, would you continue to praise his name? And here's the question. Well, what's the answer? It should be, yeah. It should be, I should be able to praise his name if all of my money was taken, if my job was lost, if my kids were to leave. We should be able to praise his name through all things because of the living hope that Jesus came to give. So the question we ask today is this, what does the resurrection mean to you? And truly, what is the condition of your soul? There is a book that we read, I think a few years ago, it was titled, How's Your Soul? Written by Judas Smith, and he really really dug at the condition of your soul. Are you satisfying it with temporary means? Or is your soul satisfied and rested in the eternal promise of Christ through the resurrection from the dead so that as I am washed by the blood of the Lamb, I will live forever and ever and ever. Just as Jesus told his disciples, I must die and be raised on the third day, you and I that believe in Christ will never die but have eternal life that we too will be raised by him. Let's pray.